Hello, everybody, and welcome back to DDK Pod, the podcast where three guys who founded an IT company talk IT industry news and topics that interest us. My name's Julian Day. With me, as always, are my two co-hosts, Jatinda Candela and Will Dalton. How are you guys? Good, thank you. Hi, everybody. Good, thanks. Good, good. Right, into the news then. So, Will, do you want to go first with your news story this week? Okie dokie. My article was originally published in The Verge, and then it's ran, it ran in the main press a day or so after. AI deep nostalgia brings old photos, in, including very old old ones to life this is an ai powered service and it animates still photos and it uses the same tech that's behind deep fakes which has a lot of bad press and a lot of bad things have been happening with it and uses gan which is generative adversarial networks which we may talk about in a future podcast so it's offered by an online genealogy company my heritage what you do is you upload all sorts of you can you can upload all sorts of photos, you know, from sort of grainy grainy black and white ones of your departed great granny, to statues or busts of various ca- characters from history. I mean, Alexander the Great is the example they use on the website, and it brings them to life. <laughs> so it animates these <laughs> photos. Now it's fun, but it's also amazingly creepy <laughs> you know we we've uploaded we uploaded pictures of the three of us didn't we of this mm. uh, three of what do you mean we <laughs> all right we i did because it. it was hysterical that's one uh, of the worst so, things i've ever seen <laughs> yeah so jk jk you know your beard went a bit wrong but i thought generally it was okay i wasn't too grotesque but by far and away the most hilarious was our dear julian who is a good looking chap but you came out a bit boss-eyed with one eye bigger than the other <laughs> well you, 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 I- <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's a pretty accurate deep fake, right? Your missus was reconsidering her options, I think, for all, for a while. <laughs> anyway, go, go check out the article. It's out. It's on the verge, and you can upload a photo to myheritage.com and see the creepy side of you or, or a loved one. I think we'll also po- post the three monstrosities, uh, the creepy version. Oh yeah. On Twitter. <laughs> oh god. So you can point and laugh at it. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> Yeah, I have to say mine is particularly awful, but I will take one for the team if you want to stick it on Twitter. I don't mind. (laughs) Great. Okay, my news story then. So I promise I won't keep doing this, but I'm very excited about this, as you can probably tell. So this, this week again, I'm going to talk about Perseverance, the Mars rover, just because... Just because, because it's really exciting. And yeah, they've managed to get it moving. So huge, huge milestone. Really, really good to see that. So they they wiggled all the wheels around and then they actually went for a tiny little drive. I think they managed about 20 meters or something like that. But it's really good to see that it can move because obviously it means that hopefully for years to come, it'll be trundling around the Jezero crater and bringing back just all sorts of awesome science. There's There's been some fascinating stuff that's come out as well of the output that Perseverance has already created. So I saw a video the other day. I'll do my best to find it and put it onto Twitter, which was by an artist where she stitched together a load of footage of Mars that Perseverance has beamed back to music and it was just it's just awe-inspiring now that they've landed such high fidelity cameras and and more recent technology on on the planet so good on them I say um, but yeah let's look forward to lots of science to come and I promise I'll stop no, talking amazing thing that, it, it just, I mean yeah, yeah I think this is why I can't resist I can't resist talking yeah, about right, it again it, yeah. because it just is what they've done is just so extraordinary. It's such an incredible feat of, of engineering and technology coming was together. It going faster, was it going faster than the 0.01 kilometres per hour that they talked about? I don't think it has yet, but I think it can potentially if they get like a if they get a fair an open stretch. I don't think they're going to be doing With the. Fair the uh, wind. I don't think they're going to be doing the quarter mile uh, in like, you know, <laughs> with the lights and everything. But I think it can get up to a, a more of a clip if it, if it has the opportunity. Plus, we've got the, the little helicopter to come and everything. So anyway, I just think it's very exciting. I think it's an amazing story, uh, but I will shut up about it now. Um, Jatinda, did you want to do your new story next? 
Yep, mine is quite short and snappy. So my story is around North Korea have reportedly tried to hack Pfizer's computers to find details of the vaccine, which is a really strange kind of scenario because until today, they've never claimed to have any cases of COVID-19 within their country. Uh huh. <laughs> Wonder why they want it. <laughs> Where are Pfizer's computers? Are they on Amazon Cloud? Yeah, that's a good question, actually. I don't know. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Presumably not North Korea, but... Yeah. <laughs> maybe they are. Maybe they are. Maybe that's maybe it's obfuscation. Cool. All right. So we shall move on to this week's main topic, if we may, which is going to cover a book, or rather it's an audio book, which came from a series of podcasts by an author called John Ronson. So John Ronson wrote this book, The The Butterfly Effect, a little while ago. And it's all about porn. But hear me out, it's not about the gory details of porn. We are not going to be discussing the gory details <laughs> of porn or going into anything like that. So please don't worry. Uh, I'm not going to make you put you off your lunch or anything like that. This is a story about what the effect of technology on the porn industry was in the sort of early 2000s up to about 2013 and it's fair to say that it's it's quite incredible that more people don't know the story which is why I thought it was worth doing a podcast on it there's also a lot of parallels very interesting parallels with other massive technology platforms which I'm sure uh, you guys can help me pull out as we go through this so I'm going to start with it with a little quote which I think sums this up this whole story up really nicely which is with contempt comes incuriousness and it's something that John Rodson says early on in the uh, in the book and it's fair because in this particular case when you're talking about the porn industry most people hold it with such contempt that they're not curious at all about mm -hmm. the ethical issues contained within the technology issues contained within and so he decided to write this book which i thought was was excellent by the way i'm not doing the recommendation section earlier but you should definitely listen to it all about the impacts that technology has had and the most interesting thing for me was the way in which one particular guy, who I'll ask you guys about in a second, the story that he has woven throughout the, the industry very much parallels a lot of the, the very big stories that we all know and love about things like YouTube and Facebook and so on. So have either of you ever heard of Fabian Thalman? I think I'm pronouncing that right. No. No. <laughs> okay. No. So the question is, why should we care about Fabian, right? Should You're going to hear... Uh, no, probably. Well, probably not, unless you're okay. you're particularly interested in the the underpinnings of the porn industry. But no, so Fab I should have. <laughs> Surely you're interested in the content, not how it works, okay. right? Let myself down. Oh dear, oh dear. Anyway, yeah, I'll, I'll come back to you and your extensive knowledge of pornography in a moment. But uh, unfortunately, we're not discussing the uh, the topics yet. So, who's Fabian? Why should we care about Fabian Thalman? Well, he started out his journey as a 16 year old on CompuServe, which is something ancient. I'm sure Will remembers. Mm -hmm. And basically, what he did at the age of 16 was he was trying to get access to paid porn sites, which pretty much every porn site was back then. And the way he did and this... And every 16-year-old was, was trying to do back then. And every 16-year-old was trying <laughs> to do. But the interesting thing is they couldn't, right, for, for two or three reasons. So you had to be 18, first of all. You needed a credit card. And not only did you need access to a credit card and the money to pay for the subscription for your particular site, but, and this is amazing, I can't believe people ever used to do this. It's probably a little bit before my time, but apparently you had to call a number and give your credit card details. So you actually had to ring some like a real person up and say, yeah, I'd like access to this site, please. Can I can I sign up? <laughs> And then <laughs> I'm not sure if you remember this, Will, but you, I don't you had, remember doing that. But <laughs> so you had to do this. You had to ring up another human being in the real world, and you had to give them your card details, which obviously then links your real identity to the fact that you want to consume this site, right? So, so this was you know horrifying for people, and a lot of people didn't do it. So what Fabian was doing was he was trading. But maybe, but maybe quite good. 
Well, yeah, I mean, there's an argument. You know, for that, in terms certainly. of in terms of responsibility, in terms of the people that should have access to porn, in terms of being old enough, do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Of, again, constraining what you're looking at. Yeah, and as we've seen with the recent push for legislation in the UK to try and bring some of these controls back in, I think a lot of people feel Mm. like it's gone too far the other way. So it's fascinating how how that was the case and how Fabian was getting around it. So what he was doing was he was going on CompuServe and he was trading passwords with people who had paid for the access in order to get free access. And this gave Fabian an idea, which is where we get really into the guts of our, our technology story, because Fabian unlike most other people who were involved with the porn industry at that time, understood how the internet worked, right? So he he had a, a deep understanding of what the internet, direction the internet was going in and how it worked. And so he realised that digitally speaking, at least, the porn world was there for the taking. You know, it, it, was, it was a bunch of mom and pop industries at this point and people trying to make money off credit card subscriptions. They didn't understand that there was this, this distribution model coming along, which was popularised by a site which few people will remember, to be honest now, uh, called YouTube. And it changed the way that people consumed video content, right? And so what Fabian did was he realised that rather than being enmeshed in a seedy world of kind of gangsters and criminals that had previously been associated with, with porn and stuff and with the last great bounce in, in in technology change driven by the porn industry which was the VHS tape so VHS tapes came along you know and, and they brought porn out of CD backstreet screen cinemas street cinemas even and into people's living rooms what Fabian realized was that by effectively adopting a YouTube model he could bring free porn to the masses and by doing so and being the only person in the room who really realized this at the time he was able to establish an enormous monopoly now this I guess immediately start setting alarm bells ringing with other massive monopolies that have sprung up. So your Facebooks, your Googles. You guys think of any others? Uh, Amazon, I guess, probably. Things like that. Twitter, YouTube. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So... Fabian had been programming for a while and he he is a programmer he is a nerd he's not the sort of person you would associate necessarily with porn and what he did was uh he developed really? a <laughs> well okay I'm sure about that not the sort of person <laughs> maybe, maybe... consumer okay so so all right so fine so if i say if Sorry, i say I think if i say think you of a porn <laughs> he probably is let's hope he's a very rich man these days but let's so let's say if i said to you guys like what do you think of what's the mental image that comes to mind when you think of someone who's involved with the porn industry it's going to either be the actors right or it's going to be the people producing yeah. it yeah. so fairly skeezy people you know people you probably wouldn't want to bump into on the street or whatever it wouldn't be necessarily a nerd sitting in his bedroom writing computer software and the first bit of computer software he developed was called nats next generation affiliate tracking software and that was one of the first pieces of software that enabled website operators to track users clicks on advertisements and links so that they could be paid a commission based on the number of clicks right so again very similar to the kind of model that you might see on other sites like like your YouTubes um, and things like that. This this idea of being paid for clicks and and advertising. So he used the money that he had from Nats to then go and buy various internet companies that were providing pornography services. And the ones he targeted were the ones, or one in particular called Mansef, uh, which was run out of Montreal, which had a very corporate face. So it had a nondescript office in, in a nice swanky office block in the middle of town. If you went onto the floor plate, you wouldn't know that that's what they were doing. And what's really interesting about that is that the owners of this company sold it to him. This is, this is a great little nugget. Because they were worried that their parents would find out how they were making their money. <laughs> that's crazy so they, they, they just, the 
bunch of How kids old as were well. They? I, I honestly don't know. That isn't mentioned in the book, but he tells a really funny story about how they had a code word that would be shouted onto the floor plate if if some of their parents or people who didn't know came <laughs> round, and, and everybody would close their their windows and spring up another set of pre-prepared windows, which were much more respectable looking, right? Um, but th- these are the people running the platform, to be clear. They're not the people making the content. This, all the content is still filmed in the San Fernando Valley, pretty much in California, right? So it's all over in the other side of the state. So this is, this is nothing to do with, with producing and shooting porn. This is about the distribution platform. He goes and he buys this respectable looking company. And then having bought that, he manages to secure $362 million worth of venture capital money. And with that, he buys Pornhub. He buys uh, numerous other famous sites, which I'm not going to list here. Um, (laughs) But basically numerous other very, very popular and still very much in circulation sites. But we'll, we'll stick with Pornhub basically, because that's the kind of ubiquity you're talking about. And he switches it over to a model of advertising revenue. And again, very, very similar to YouTube. It's scary how the parallels are coming out there, right? So he moves everybody over onto this platform and he he amalgamates a lot of these sites together, gets rid of the ones that are defunct, has them all redirecting across to Pornhub. And he makes the platform available to everybody. So he says, okay, you know, anyone out there can create an account on my platform and they can upload material. Now, that is very much the YouTube model, obviously. And as Fabian puts it, that's it. You know, you, you basically, if you have an account, you can potentially even make money by uploading a lot of porn because obviously you can do it the same way YouTubers do, where you get ad revenue for people clicking on those videos. And as people who are producing this stuff, the actual filmmakers over in California would issue takedown notices and say, oh, please, uh, you know, please, please take this down. But as fast as they would do that... Are they saying know, please? <laughs> well, presumably not. They were saying, take this down, it's mine. But as, as fast as they were doing that, obviously 10 other people would then upload it. So there's a guy in the book who says, you know, when I make a movie these days, I can guarantee that within 30 minutes of releasing it as a paid for movie, you know, on DVD or whatever it might be, it will appear on Pornhub. Because and those people were copying it and then just uploading it to this platform. Is that, bingo. Is that, is Absolutely that? right. Yeah. So not Fabian and his people. So the IPR theft is with those people that are making the copy. It's exactly the same model as your YouTubes or whatever. Yeah. So if somebody, if a user goes on YouTube, creates a YouTube account and then uploads a piece of uh, protected copyrighted material, that's the user's problem, not YouTube's problem. It's that same argument that you have with Facebook, with the news uh, and all sorts of stuff where they argue that they are providing a platform. They're not providing Mm. the content and it's up to users how they use that platform. So interesting, right? You know, porn actually works the same way. Who knew? But, but YouTube, it does. YouTube makes great effort, doesn't it, to remove content that has illegitimate IPR associate, don't they? I yes. mean, I'm guessing, really, but I think they, they make great strives, don't they, to do that. Whereas this yeah. platform, it doesn't seem this platform does. No, they just, that's... They just, I think... of, they just let it go, maybe because of the industry that it's in. I don't know. Yeah. And also, I think it's... It's becoming more of a thing over the last three years or so that YouTube has started to be a bit more stringent on it. Yeah. Because of certain industries such as um, Hollywood as an industry has started to kind of highlight the, the issues. Uh, of Flex two muscle. Yeah, exactly. 
uh, using all of its influence in the American government and, and places like that to do that. So can the porn industry flex its muscle? <laughs> well, <laughs> God, that's an unfortunate turn of phrase, isn't it? Um, <laughs> you did that deliberately, didn't you? Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, I can't um, grow up. I, I'm trying no. to. I tried to have a sensible conversation. That much is evident. Better, better new title for the whole podcast, maybe. <laughs> flex, <laughs> flex my muscle. Can we please move on? <laughs> Please, this is a respectable discussion around technology. We can edit all this out. Uh, Anyway, so basically, yeah, you are completely right. Yeah, and so this is going back to my original pulling out of that quote where I said, you know, contempt breeds incuriousness, right? So so people Mm. don't want to know what's going on within this industry. And so for that reason, this monopoly has been allowed to flourish and there is much less scrutiny over what is posted. Mm. So obviously they do have to make sure they take down really heavily illegal stuff. You know, if there's anything Mm. that's posted on there, which is so beyond the pale that it simply should not be on that platform, it's just too extreme, then yes, they have to do that because otherwise they'll get shut down. But this is about legal content rather than IPR. Yeah. But mm. also the thing is, because because it's so popular, you've got, you know, so many more people uploading each piece of content. So the other issue that they have is that, you know, these these guys who are producing these movies, you know, they're not Marvel Studios. They're not Disney. They're not, you know, whoever else, mm. Fox or something. They don't have yeah. a team of hundreds of people on a floor plate issuing takedown notices to all the people who are updating, uh, uploading, excuse me, this content to YouTube like they do on YouTube because mm. people are doing it all the time. Yeah, they're constantly trying to put whole movies and stuff up there but these people have got massive money they've got massive resources they've got massive manpower they can issue the takedown notices as fast as the content pops up if you are a guy shooting porn in a garage in california you've got no hope particularly as a lot of that is is self-published so what it did was it triggered a seismic shift for people who were working in that industry where they could no longer earn really any money doing it in the same way and it forced people to go into totally different directions. So some people went off and started shooting custom movies that were commissioned by fans. That was one way they made their money. Other people started producing effectively porn, but optimised for the algorithms on these platforms. So this is really interesting because in the technology sense, it works in a very similar way to YouTube where keywords in the titles are listed on the the platforms and the platform serves up content to people based on those keywords. So you started to see a complete shift in the way that movies were produced so that they could hit as many different genres as possible and as many different keywords as possible so that they would get served up higher on the algorithm. So you're getting search engine optimization within the titling of porn movies. Which I, I never knew was a thing. But it's something how that's happened. People, you know? How do the people that produce the content though make the money if their if their content is still being duplicated and uploaded by so many people? Do you know what I mean? Even if they're being returned in many searches because because they're they're the content or the words that they use in their content hit the algorithms, hit the search algorithms, that money's gotta be directed somewhere, hasn't it? So who who where's the money directed to? Well, in theory, that money is directed to the person who uploaded the content, if you think about it, like the AdSense thing which happens on. It could be many people. Yeah, which is why many people upload the same content. But also, you know, it's driving ad revenue into the platform, into Fabian's arms, right? Although actually Fabian sold his stake in in these companies in 2013. But by that point, he had about 80% of the porn watched on the internet was happening through his platforms. So just by going out there and and, and doing this, he's made himself billions or well millions and millions at least hundreds of millions probably Mm. by by getting all of that and revenue driven into his own platforms 
and then it becomes sort of a self-sustaining machine. Because he takes a cut of the ad revenue. Yeah, and I believe the people who upload the content do as well, but I'm not 100% yeah. sure if they have like okay. an AdSense model like YouTube does. But it's also meant that, you know, free porn has become ubiquitous and that brings with it a whole bunch of ethical questions and societal effects. So we have whole generations of people now mm. growing up where this content is freely available in amounts that you could never possibly consume, you know, in, in, mm. in just there's so much of it everywhere. And people who are too young to get access to it, get access to it from an early yeah. age. And, yeah. and Ronson, yeah. actually, in the book, he goes into some of the really tragic and ethically very, very murky impacts that that's had on an awful lot of young people in the real world. And some of the stories are quite sad and moving. I'm not going to go into them now. I don't have the time, but but it's definitely worth checking out. People who've, who've been you know, placed on sex offenders registers, people who've ended up having to move out of the, the sort of centre of their town, not because they're, they're involved in the industry, they're performing in it, but because their consumption of it has become so unhealthy. There's stories of, in the press, about how kids' perception of sex and the perception of how they treat their partner when yeah. having sex or while having sex is 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 quite extreme because it's based off what their their experiences of what they're seeing in pornographic videos you know which which is all you know it's all pretty That's when you're believe. older it's quite funny <laughs> it can be quite funny mm. i mean do you know what i mean it, it, it's it's silly but actually when you're young and you're very sexually yeah. mature it becomes mm. your normal and actually it's very you know, it undermines your partner and, and, and how yeah, and, there's, and the sex in general yeah. and all the rest of it. It's, it's, yeah. It can be quite shocking. And there's been uh, there's been stats that have backed a lot of that up as well because there's, you know, there's been a soar in the rates of, without going into too many details, sexual dysfunction amongst young people. Um, so mm. they're not able to, you know, to, to have sex in a normal way anymore because that they've been so conditioned by porn that the real thing doesn't compare to what they think it should be. Yeah, so exactly as you're saying, Will. But, I mean, it, there's so many aspects to this topic. I mean, for example, they mm. use that they use industry, IT industry standard techniques as well. So another thing that I found really interesting was they use A and B testing to refine which thumbnails appear on which videos. So I remember going to a presentation a while ago at a conference by, I think it was the Financial Times. I think you went to the same one, Will, maybe. Yeah. And they talked about how they used A and B testing to refine which articles they flagged up to readers so that they could get the most the most bang for their buck out of a particular article. So some users get fed one slight variation, other users get fed another slight variation. So you might change the picture or you might change one word and you see which generates more clicks and you gradually refine until the point where you've got the perfect or, or you've got as good a return as you're going to get. They're doing exactly the same thing on these platforms. The same techniques, all the same stuff that we use. Yeah. I suppose it's interesting if they if stuff's been invented on the back of these platforms like that ubiquitous platform that hosts content and the click through model which seems to be something that's come out of the porn industry if I've if I've if I've been listening correctly but it's not as you said right at the beginning it's not well known I think people shy away from it you know and say no actually this technology came from came from the porn industry well we we but wondered it's so interesting that VHS that how VHS became popular was actually driven by the porn industry oh oh yeah I mean that that was huge like yeah that that uh, that's often credited with being the main reason that VHS yeah. became so ubiquitous was because it it was the porn industry that mm. that um spearheaded that because so many people no longer wanted to go and sit in a horrible cinema somewhere and watch it. They wanted to do it in their own home, and that gave them the opportunity to do that. So in many ways, porn's always been a bit of a bellwether for trends in technology. But what I think is really interesting about this particular story, just to sort of draw it to a close a little bit, is you know the reason that this was able to happen in the way that it did is because of the industry it happened within. 
but also our own industry outside we've seen less slightly less extreme versions of this happening everywhere you know there are these huge monopolies appearing all over the place your facebook your google your apple microsoft you know all these big companies that have sprung up and the ethical implications of that are are many you know and varied and we could talk about them for a long time but this wasn't the first but this happened in parallel but it happened to such an extreme degree where this guy was able to take over the the entire industry with no competition whatsoever basically because it happened within an industry that nobody wants to talk about mm. and kind of should that be the case really within it you know should or any industry for that matter should that be should that be able to happen or do we as a society need to be more grown up about talking about these kind of things you know the fact that the content is porn is almost irrelevant to this story in some ways it's the fact that that content because nobody wants to associate with it has enabled a very extreme example of an it monopoly to spring up i think one of the interesting things that this has probably kind of started to highlight is that in the last 15 years the kind of attitude towards porn and sex and it being more of a normal thing for people to be exposed to has happened through the use of technology through the platforms that we use for kind of social media uh, instagram so although obviously porn and sex are extreme kind of examples of that but there is that kind of exposure so as people starting to expose who they are who their characters are via social media it's starting to become more acceptable to kind of industries like that in terms of porn and and the the personalities of the people that work in that industry one example um, i'm not sure how relevant it is but um, there's a um, an indian porn star who's made a, a huge career working in the industry but then she switched over to working into bollywood and bollywood as a respectable industry in, in their view they didn't want her to be a part of their kind of industry and they didn't lots of actors didn't want to work with her because of that taboo that she's done porn but then after a while it just started to become a normal thing and she's kind of carved a niche out for herself in the industry and other kind of senior well-established actors have started to kind of come along because they see that social media and her influence and her kind of uh, star pull from from the yeah. community that are interested in her is enough for it to be important for them to start working with her in the industry. So yeah, it's, I, it's I important because think... um, well, it's important. There's lots of important points in what you said there, but one of them is that why should it matter that you come from a porn industry? Yeah. You know what I mean? shouldn't yeah quite it's an industry that in the past has been quite exploitative so that's a great example of where it's worked really well for somebody but there are numerous examples that that john ronson goes through as well in the book uh where there are many young actors and actresses who are getting pulled into this world at a very young age you know some of them are really young when they start obviously they're they're above legal age of consent but i mean that's what 18 or 21 in most places and mm. and they come into the industry thinking, oh, I'm going to make a load. I'm going to be a, a star, you know, and, and I'm going to have this great career out the back of this. But the problem is because this content is now so freely and widely available because of the technology that Fabian pioneered, they don't mm. last very long at all, these careers, because they become... The, the market becomes saturated so quickly because people are, are re not retweeting. I don't want to uh, uh, throw stuff at Twitter, but yeah, because people are repeating their content over and over and over again, ad nauseum across all of these pornography platforms, they become flavor of the month for literally a couple of months, but then they get dropped. And then the impact that that has on their life, because obviously you've then been tarred with uh, that industry brush, you know, some people don't want to associate with you is, is huge. So there's a lot of ethics as well around the people for whom who don't make it to superstardom. 
as well. Mm. I just thought it was a very interesting story, and very I'm glad that I read yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Probably wouldn't yeah. have heard about it if you hadn't had, uh, presented it. Well, that friends. was why I wanted to do an episode on it, to be honest, because I thought it so was... your porn um... obsession has paid you. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> yes. Anyway, he who's in a glass house will. <laughs> so with that, I, I think we'll move on to the recommendation section, if we may. Uh, Jatinda, did you want to go first with your recommendation this week? Yeah, happy to do that. So mine is about 10 years too late. Uh, I'm not sure when Game of Thrones started, but I really, really just ignored it until about three weeks ago. So I've just started watching Game of Thrones over the last few weeks and I'm hooked. I think it's really, really interesting. I'm glad that I can watch it and like binge watch it now because the entire kind of set has been completed. But it's so there's so many different rich characters that you find interesting in the, the actual series that... I like watching it because of you don't really know where the story is going to go because of the depth of so many characters. So my recommendation is if you haven't watched Game of Thrones, get involved and check it out. It's available on Sky, I think, at the moment. Yeah, better not tell you about season eight, hey. <laughs> Have you watched them all, JK? No, not yet. You, I'm on season four or five, I think. Oh, yeah. End of four, beginning of five. Yeah, I um I've been meaning to go back to it. I think I watched two and a half, no, three and a half seasons, and I've I've never gone back and finished it off. But then when season eight came out and got sort of critically panned, I'm mm. now trying to summon up the willpower to go back to it, knowing that the ending maybe they don't stick the landing. But yeah, mm. I, I I thought it was great when I watched watched it. I'm not really a fan of the books, but I thought the series was quite good. Will, did you want to go next with your recommendation? So I want to recommend the Amazon Fire TV Stick. Uh, it's a little USB-esque device that plugs into the HDD, HDMI socket of your TV uh, and connects to your Wi-Fi, and it allows you to stream TV to your TV. And it's for you. So quit from Amazon. So I'm desperately trying to quit buying stuff from Amazon <laughs> or AWS, but they <laughs> just failing. keep on making stuff that's that's not that's really difficult not to like. Damn them! Fire TV is one of the, one of those devices. The good thing about Fire TV is you you have all the apps that are on it. So you've got your your Disney Pluses, MGM, Netflix, BBC, blah, blah. But you could ask, it hooks into Alexa, and you can ask Alexa to search for a movie or a TV series, and it will search across all those apps, even if you're not subscribing to them, and then come mm. back with a with a hit on your particular search, which is actually a really cool feature. But danger, beware, you, you, you might end up subscribing to, to a lot of apps. Um, so <laughs> my advice to you is to... Watch the TV, subscribe, sign up for the seven-day free trial, watch watch the show, and then cancel as soon as you finish watching. <laughs> yeah, I, that's exactly the same reason I have one, actually, is the ability to search across all of them. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's really, really good. Excellent. Thank you. So my recommendation is WandaVision. So uh, WandaVision is, is a series that Marvel Studios has produced on Disney+. Plus. So we'll mention that a minute ago, use it through the old uh, Amazon Fire Stick. But WandaVision is a show starring Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen, who are both absolutely fantastic in it. Uh, also, Catherine Hahn deserves a special mention who's, who's in the show as well. She's brilliant. It's just very interesting. It, it starts off in a sort of quirky... With two characters who I should say are in the Avengers movies. So they're very, very famous characters. Starting off in a 1950s black and white sitcom setting. And you kind of look at it and think, What? And that's the whole point. And it gradually, gradually unravels into a tale of grief and loss and very much backs onto the events that happened in Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. Uh, I will say literally nothing else about it because you must try and avoid spoilers if you can and just go give it a watch. It starts off a little bit slow with these these sort of sitcom pastiches, which are absolutely note perfect. My wife in particular grew up with some of these sitcoms or watched them even though they were they were very, very old. Just said it's incredible the job they do of, of how well they sort of pastiche them. Then it all goes a bit Twin Peaks and 
been all a bit odd and, and it's well how on earth are two Avengers in this and it, it's very good it's very very good and yeah I definitely think it's worth a watch I'm glad so. you uh, mm. I'm glad you say that because I've, I started watching it and I'm thinking what is going on here and I've yeah, sort of, that's... I've given up <laughs> I think I think a lot two of pe- first two episodes mm. but um, I'm glad you said it gets better a lot of people bounce off it if you are not sure whether you're going to like it I would encourage you to watch up to the end of the fourth episode I'll say okay. no more than that. But if you're not sure whether this is this is for you and you're thinking, what is this weird 1950s, 60s, 70s sitcom nonsense, just keep yeah, going to the fourth the episode. Okay. Yeah. Good advice. Uh, and, and, and I think your, your opinion will turn around because it's very good. Cool. So I think, chaps, that's the show. I think we're done. So thank you very much for today. Interesting chat. If those of you out there listening to this want to get in touch with us, you can do. We're available on ddkpod at ddklimited.com. That's ddkpod at ddklimited.com if you want to drop us an email. On Twitter, we are ddklimited, and the limited in both those cases is spelled out in full. And on LinkedIn, we are Dalton Day Candola. So it just remains for me to say thank you very much, guys, for, uh, for today. And um, we'll see everybody in the next one. Bye. See you later. Oh, I hope my uh, my fire in the library wasn't making a too much noise. <laughs> Didn't hear it as much, to be fair. Only you could have a fire Didn't you hear in Hannah the... shouting lunch. Yes, <laughs> did you? It's like, oh god, I thought she was going to come in.